Welcome to Leading Lights. You are about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello again. We've been talking about a human being, not just the outer part of a human being, but the inner parts as well. The Bible says that you have a body, you have a soul, and you are a spirit. And these three parts are so helpful when we try to understand how we behave, why we do the things we do, and how we relate to God better. So the spirit is the part of us that relates to God and can understand God. The soul is the part that understands ourself. And we've said it's made up of your mind, your thoughts, your will, your decisions, and your emotions or your feelings. And then your body is the part of you that relates to the outside world. And your soul can be linked to your body and become a part of your body, especially before a person is a Christian, or it can be linked to your spirit. And after you're a Christian, then the power of God's spirit inside of you changes the whole of you. So today I want to use one main scripture and then a second little story to try and show you how this works in practice. I've been a believer for quite a few years now, and I wish someone had told me these lessons early on in my Christian walk. I can honestly say that I've learned this through trial and error. But if we get this right, it is not just how we become a Christian, but how we continue to live as a Christian, bearing in mind these three parts of the human being. Body, how we're conscious of the world. Soul, how we're conscious of ourselves, Spirit, how we're conscious of God. And how do those three relate to one another. So the verse is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 and he says, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So he says the word of God. The, the start of this verse is the word of God, and that's the Bible when God speaks. You know, Jesus said in John 6 verse 63, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And that is an amazing verse that Jesus said. He was saying a few important things. Number one, the spirit is what relates to God and will live forever. The flesh is important, but in comparison, it's, it profits nothing because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Jesus started by saying the spirit is what's important. The spirit gives life, eternal life. You know, God is the author and the, the, the giver of life. And it says that the spirit is where that life is. The spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Even though we spend so much of our time worrying about our bodies and our physical lives and our five senses, he says in comparison, it's not that important. But then he said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. In other words, just get a, get a, a picture of this for a second. Jesus was speaking physical words with his physical voice box and lips. And he was saying to his hearers, the flesh, the outer part of you is less important than the spirit in the middle of you. 
But the words that I'm speaking to you with my physical body and voice, which are going into your physical ears and your physical mind, those are spirit and life. In other words, he was saying, my words pierce all the way through from your outer being, through your soul, your mind, your will and emotions, right into your spirit, and they give life. They give eternal life, all the things that life includes. So we go back to this verse and it says, the word of God, when God speaks through his Bible, or when you hear it preached or, or something like that, the word of God is living or alive. That's that same word, life. Zoe in the Greek, or a version of it in this verse. The, the, the Word of God is alive. It's not just pages and, and ink on a, on, a, on a page. It's actually alive. There's something powerful and spiritual about it. The Word of God is living and powerful or active. It's working. It's moving. The Greek word is energeo, where we get energy from. It's got energy. The Word of God is something powerful, living, active. And then it says it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. So a sword has sharp edges and it has a sharp point. And what this says is that there's two edges to this sword and both edges are very, very sharp. And I'm going to show you what those two edges do in a moment. But then it says it also has a piercing end, a point, which pierces right the way through. When you read God's word, your body, your eyes or your ears receive the word of God. It goes through your physical mind and then into your soul, your mind, your will and your emotions. And it pierces all the way through to your spirit. Did you know that the word of God was such an amazing thing? It really is. When it comes to these three parts of a human being, the word of God is the thing that pierces between body, soul and spirit. And it comes back out of our spirit when we speak God's words as well. So there's amazing power in God's words. But let me read this to you again. The Word of God. God's spoken, written words. The Word of God is living, alive, and powerful, energetic. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. And here we see the two sides of this sword soul and spirit. And then just to illustrate it, he says, joints and marrow. And the picture is of a sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals to God and they would cut them. And he says, just like the sacrifice was cut and the joints and the marrow were cut by a very, very sharp implement, the word of God is like that, but it's not cutting your physical flesh. It's cutting between your soul and your spirit. And when he says joints and marrow, he was saying something, you know, somebody said to me recently, did they know about modern medicine when they wrote the Bible? How can we, how can we take modern medical facts and, and put them onto the Bible? You know, the difference between joints and marrow is a big difference. Your bones and your joints are the things you can see if you cut yourself or if you have an x-ray, you can see them. But not many people knew in this day, in fact, I don't think anybody knew that the marrow in the middle of the bone is actually the thing that produces life. It produces all your blood. It produces all your antibody uh, cells that fight disease. And it even produces um, 
um, amazing other cells. There are people who've had bone marrow transplants, and later when they have DNA tests of different parts of their body, they've got the DNA of the person who donated the marrow instead of their own DNA, because the marrow produces life and cells. And what he was saying is you've got a skeleton and life in the middle of the skeleton. It's the same. You've got a soul, which is the thing you can feel and sense, your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, but there's a spirit like the marrow that gives life in the middle. Can you see how amazing God's Word is? They would never have known that in this day when this book was written, but God was writing it. And that's why he says, the Word of God is alive, living, powerful, active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. What does it mean, the division of soul and spirit? You know, we sometimes struggle to work out, is this me feeling this or is it God telling me this? Is it me thinking that I should do this thing? Is it me wanting to take this job, to marry this person, to move to that country? Is it me wanting this thing or is it God in the middle of me? In other words, what we're saying is that my soul or is that my spirit? And we've said in previous weeks that the aim of a Christian is to move our soul more and more into our spirit so that the two become one. So we have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. We're using our spiritual minds, Ephesians 4.23 says. Uh, we have joy and feelings of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace. We're moving our soul into our spirit. We have purpose in the spirit, it says in Acts, uh, that we can, we can have self-control as a spiritual fruit. We're trying to move our soul into the spirit, but sometimes we can't really tell. And so you'll get a person saying, I'm feeling like the Lord is saying X, Y, Z. There was a very famous and funny book uh, called The Secret Diary or The Sacred Diary of Adrian Plass. And um, it, it was a, a man who was trying to work out how to be a Christian. And somebody came to him with a prophecy in church and said, I had a picture of a dartboard with an octopus on it, and I hope that blesses you. And he said it was completely unhelpful because sometimes people feel they're bringing a word from God, but they've mixed up their soul with their spirit, and they can't really work out. There was another time in Acts chapter 21 when Paul is about to go to Jerusalem, and there's some big prophets and, and leaders in the church there, and one of the prophets ties Paul's hands together with his belt and says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be tied up by the Jews. And it says that all the other people in the room got emotional and said to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, what he said is correct. I am going to be tied up, but God does want me to go to Jerusalem. Paul could separate what was spirit, what was God's words, and what was soul or what was human emotion. And sometimes when someone gives you a word, uh, it's, it's a mixture of human emotion and God's prophecy. And that's why the Bible says, test all the prophecies, weigh them up, judge them. Don't just take them as being perfect. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, we know in part, we prophesy in part. We see through like a glass dimly. We can't really work it out. But the word of God God's Bible separates between soul and spirit. And then it says it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I just find this so fascinating. 
you know, discern means it shows you, it, it, it makes it plain. What are your thoughts and your intents? So let's talk about intents first. Intent is purpose or decision or will. You know, we've said that your soul has a mind, thoughts, has a will, decisions, and has emotions, feelings. And this says that the Word of God can help you to work out what are your decisions and what are the decisions that are inspired by God's Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't this make you want to read God's Word more? Every time we read God's Word, the sword of the Spirit goes in and it starts to help us. And it's not, a, it's not a, an attacking, um, aggressive cutting. It's more like a surgeon who goes in to heal. Think of it like a surgeon whose scalpel not only cuts to where the disease is, but also heals as it goes and removes the disease at the same time. That's what this is talking about. The Word of God is powerful and living and active. In other words, it brings life, not death. It brings healing. It brings a change and a restoration. And it comes with God's power and His forgiveness and His grace. Somebody has said that when I feel condemned, that's the devil trying to make me feel guilty. But when I feel convicted, that's God saying, yes, there's something wrong, but look, we can together do it differently. And that's what this says. It says that it shows me the intents or the, the will part of my soul and which is spiritual and which is soulish. And then it says it also discerns the thoughts. And this speaks of our mind, yes, but the Greek word is enthumesis, which is a fascinating word. En means in and thumesis comes from the Greek word thumos, which means strong feeling or passion. And so when it says it discerns or reveals the thoughts of my heart, it's saying it's yes, showing me my thoughts and what my mind is saying, but it's also showing me my strong feelings and my emotions and my passion. Wow. The Word of God is the only thing that can go all the way through from your ears and eyes into your soul, your mind, will and emotions and right into your spirit and bring life. I just want to show you one little passage about our thoughts from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, though we walk around this world in our bodies, we have to have a body to live on planet Earth. We do not war. And what is the war? It's against the devil and what he's trying to do in our lives. We do not war according to our own strength. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that word carnal simply means fleshly or physical, are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So there are strongholds in me that I need to pull down. The devil has built up strongholds. A stronghold is like a fort or a fortress, which is hard to overcome. Then in verse 5, it says, We cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Friends, this is the picture of us bringing our soul together with our spirit. When God's word comes in, he discerns or he reveals my thoughts, my feelings, and my intentions, my will. And then I have a choice. I can use these mighty weapons. What are they? Well, it's the word of God, but it's also God's spirit inside of me, the power that God has given me 
and I can take those thoughts captive. You say, Greg, what does this look like in real life? Well, I um, may be interacting with someone and I feel like they've insulted me or they have a, a funny attitude towards me and my mind starts working and I start thinking, maybe they don't like me, maybe they've judged me, maybe they're critical of me, maybe they hate me. And, and my mind starts going through all these different things. And then I read God's word and I pray. And I say, Lord, what do you say? And he says in 1 Corinthians 4, judge nothing before the day of judgment. The hidden things in people's hearts, you don't know what they are. And so I let that sink in and it starts to discern my thoughts and my emotions and my feelings. And then I read other verses that say, um, love always trusts, always hopes, always protects. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to trust. I'm going to bless. I'm going to leave it to God. I'm not going to try and fight my own battle. And what happens is the sword of the spirit goes in, but then it discerns my thoughts. But then I have a choice. I can say, Lord, I'm going to allow your word to change my thoughts, my feelings, and my intentions. And I'm going to choose to side with your spirit. And Romans 8 verse 5 and 6 says, when I do that, the mind set on the spirit is life and peace instead of turmoil. And the Bible actually says death in Romans 8 verse 5. I just want to... Uh, mention one other little passage I said I would tell you, and that is the parable of the sower. So Jesus told a story about a farmer who throws out seed, and he said the seed is a picture of the Word of God. He said it fell in four different areas. One was a hard path where it couldn't get into the soil, and the birds came and stole it away. The second was shallow soil. He said it sprung up quickly, but then it didn't have a root, and so it died. The third was soil which had other things growing, weeds and, and other plants, and they choked the little plant so that it couldn't prosper. The fourth soil was good soil where it put in a deep root and it bore fruit 30, 60, 100 fold what was planted. Now, this is exactly the same picture that this verse Hebrews 4 gives us. The word of God comes in, the seed of God's word comes in, and I've got to then respond to it. So listen to Jesus' explanation of the parable, Matthew 13, 18, or verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received by the wayside. So on the hard path, it just bounces off. I, I haven't really even understood it. My mind hasn't really even engaged in it. Second soil, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. So there's emotion and there's understanding. Yet he has no root in himself and endures only for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He hasn't engaged his will. He hasn't said, I'm choosing even whatever happens, I'm choosing this. I'm, I'm exercising my decision-making ability to say, this is what I'm doing. I'm just letting my feelings and my thoughts rule me. Then he says, now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. This is where we don't root out the wrong ideas. You see, every time God's word comes in with the truth, there it has to replace a lie that we've believed previously. And this is what repentance is. It basically means chucking out what I used to believe and saying, God, I'm choosing today 
to think and feel and act according to the truth that you've shown me. And I'm chucking out that old belief. If we want to just add God's word and never repent of anything and never chuck something else out, then the word of God gets choked by all these other ideas and passions and wants and needs and, and lusts in our lives. But then verse 23, he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, bears fruit, produces 160, 30 fold. I want to just close now with something that's common to both of these stories. Hebrews 4 verse 12 and the parable of the sower both talk about a hard heart. So just before Jesus told the parable of the sower, his disciples said, why are you telling people these funny stories, these parables? And Jesus said, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull or hardened. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Jesus said that it's possible for us to have a calloused heart. What that means is we hear God's word, but it doesn't go in. And the way that it becomes calloused is by not responding to his word. You know, uh, if somebody is allergic to something, there is a treatment whereby they just put little bits of that thing on that person's skin or they make them eat them just a little bit at a time. And that person builds up a resistance to the thing to the point where they are no longer allergic. On the flip side, if we keep hearing God's word and we don't respond correctly with repentance, allowing it to cut all the way through and allowing it to change us and throwing out the wrong ideas. If we just keep hearing God's word, but we never change, what happens is we build up a resistance to God's word. We become hardened. And so in Hebrews 4, the passage talking about the, the word of God being living and active, several times, I think it, in the verses before that from Hebrews 3 and 4, I think it's three, four or five times, it quotes a little verse which says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And what this is saying is that the risk is that even though God's word is sharp and living and active, God has given us the ability to choose whether we want God's word in our lives or not. He doesn't force. The surgeon doesn't come in, tie you to the bed and start cutting to remove the disease. He says, are you willing? Sign this consent form if you like. And God is the same. He says, do you want to receive my word? And the problem is, when our hearts become hard, we get to a point where we don't want God's word, but we also don't even realize that we don't want God's word. We become so anesthetized to God's things that we're not sensitive to God anymore. And the solution is repentance. Let me read you, just as I close, a couple of verses. Hosea, 4, uh, Hosea 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Hosea was speaking to the Israelites, and he says, your hearts 
are hard like fallow ground that hasn't been plowed for many, many years. And you've got to break it up. You've got to say, Lord, I want to break my heart and receive your word. There's an action which I take. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and it's quite a strong rebuking letter. And he says that it made them sorry. And he says in verses 7 onwards that godly sorrow leads to repentance, not to be regretted. And then he talks about the response that they had when they received this rebuke. There was earnest desire, mourning, zeal, diligence, clearing of themselves, indignation, fear, vehement desire, vindication. He says, you suffer loss from us in nothing. It leads to salvation that is not to be regretted. But then he says, worldly sorrow just leads to death. Friends, when we receive something from God, we can choose to have worldly sorrow, which is just, oh, I'm so sad that I got caught. Or we can say, God, I want to repent. And it leads to joy, salvation, and not any regrets. Let me just read you what King David said when he had a hard heart. He'd committed adultery with Bathsheba. He killed her husband. He was going on as if nothing had happened. And Nathan the prophet came and gave him a little picture prophecy. And his heart was broken. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And then he just talks about having a broken heart. He asked God for forgiveness. And at the end, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Friends, repentance is a wonderful gift. It enables us to break up a hard heart. How do we do it? We read God's word. We say, Lord, I don't want to be hardened. I want to be soft. I want to be receptive. I'm sorry for my sin. And it engages my mind. It engages my will. It engages my emotions. And I change. I chuck out the old that's wrong. I change my thoughts, my feelings, and my behavior. And I go on a new path. And the great news is that that seed that the sower seeds sows in our hearts produces a fruit. That sword of God's Spirit brings healing and life. It's powerful and energetic. And you can change because God's Word has come all the way in and changed you. Pray today. Say, Lord, if I've had a hard heart, please would you help me to be soft again? Please forgive me for getting desensitized to your Word. Please, Lord, break in again. I choose to read your word and I choose to allow it to go all the way through to judge the thoughts, the feelings and the intentions of my heart to show me what is soul and what is spirit and to allow my soul to become spirit filled in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.